Well, welcome everybody to the third episode of uh, Slice of Life Sciences. Um, we're super excited for this episode. The past couple of weeks, we've really cut our teeth in the X's and O's of more so the life science real estate industry and understanding how or what makes up a successful life science cluster, what makes up a successful life science ecosystem in greater Boston and other markets. So we wanted to shift our conversation a little bit this week and, and keep it fresh and bring on someone who's actually operated, ran, um, and knows the ins and outs of these life science companies that make up these wonderful communities. Um, so without further ado, Mark Tebe, um, who is an entrepreneur in residence at Atlas Ventures. Um, we'll get into it in a second, but to touch on some of Mark's experience, he's had an illustrious career as a serial entrepreneur, um, focusing on drug discovery, drug development, uh, managing, like I said, biotech and pharmaceutical companies. Um, before his current role, he was the co-founder and CTO, Chief Technology Officer at Quench Bio for three years. Um, prior to that, another three years at Quartet Medicine, where he was the head of drug discovery. Before that, another three years at Forma Therapeutics um, as the VP of Medicinal and Computational Chemistry. And before that, many, many more roles and experiences. So, um, Mark, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for inviting me along. Super excited to, to talk to you about this. We're excited to have you, and hopefully uh, I, I hit that in the right chronological order. But honestly, uh, yeah, 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 you got it all right. Yeah, right. I've been a few places. <laughs> You've been a few places, and we'd love to hear about all of them and what you have going on now. So um, thank you for taking the time. Um, before we dive into uh, your professional career and experiences, I always like to get to know Mark and your personal background, educational background, and how you got to where you are. So if it's all right with you, I'll just maybe rattle off some questions of where you grew up, if you had any major influences in your life early on that sets you on the track you're on, or maybe not, and you were planning on doing something else early on in your life. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I grew up in Indiana. Uh, kind of in the middle of Indiana, about 30, 45 miles northeast of Indianapolis is a small farming community. So um, when I was growing up, uh, my parents hadn't gone to uh, college uh, and we were really in this very small farming community. So I worked on the farm. I did these sort of things. It was a rather large family farm. Um, but my, my mom, at least, was really intent that I would get a college education, that all of her kids would. And so um, we started into high school, and uh, I, I really didn't know anything other than farming and, and that sort of thing. But I, I got into high school, and when I got to be a junior in high school, I took my first chemistry class. I'd had other science classes, but uh, chemistry really piqued my interest, and a lot of it was because... I was actually able to work at my own pace. So they allowed us in that one class to do labs at your own pace. You're working with a partner, but you, you got to do things in that way. And so 
I think we got to midway through that year and, and we had done more labs already than, than people had usually done almost in a year. And so, you know, it was really, uh, I had a great teacher there, then I really have to give them the credit. So Fred Calhoun was, was my teacher there. And that really was what got me interested in chemistry. So, and so you knew, um, was that just an introduc introduction class to chemistry? And the first yeah you know it was it's just high school chemistry but we it was very laboratory focused um doing labs and all kinds of things so you're really just learning the the basics of chemistry but but doing practical things with your hands at the same time so it was a really nice integration of that um and again you know this is a small community farming community public high school uh sort of thing but was pretty sophisticated as i look back at the types of things that we did and um, so it got me just interested, even though I had no idea what a chemist was. I had nobody in my life who, who, who knew anything about that. But uh, I, I remained interested. In, and then when I entered um, uh, my undergraduate education at Notre Dame, I entered as a chemistry major. So I'm one of those few people that actually started in a major, I finished the major, and I'm still in that career it, to some degree. I mean, I could talk about that more later, but yeah, so there was a path there, even though uh, I can expand on it. You know, I didn't know where it was going. I didn't know what a chemist really was, but I was somehow interested. That was going to be my next question. If you started with chemistry and went all the way through at uh, Notre Dame, but so, so after Notre Dame, you went to Stanford for your PhD, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so again, there was there was a very influential person. So as an undergraduate, I, I was doing very well in the chemistry courses. So I stayed in them, but that made professors get interested in me and in, in doing undergraduate research. And so they introduced me, um, kind of recruited me into to doing that. And so I worked with uh, Professor Paul Helquist at the University of Notre Dame, and I worked in the laboratory of Richard Connell, who has um, had a, a very uh, illustrious career at Pfizer post getting his PhD there and going out and is now, um, you know, very high up in Wuxi uh, Pharma Tech. Um, and so, but I was working in his hood, working on uh, some molecules. I actually got a publication out of working with Rick during that time that came out. But, but uh, the key thing there is that Paul Helquist helped me understand what graduate school was because now I was working with graduate students yeah. and they're getting their PhDs and I had I really literally no idea what that was and like well what what is this thing this looks kind of cool and so they educated me on that part and Paul helped me find um, you know graduate schools and kind of understand how to apply to graduate schools and that it's really who you work for as much as where you go and so he connected me up with Paul Winder at Stanford and um, who was a friend sort of in his network. And uh, so I started graduate school um, pretty much a week after I finished undergraduate. Oh, wow. So right after. <laughs> yeah. So I, I got in a car like a week after I graduated from Notre Dame. No grace May. period. <laughs> no, no, I did not take the summer off. I had enough of those summers on the farm. <laughs> or summers working night shift or summers doing other things. So I was interested in getting started. Uh, so I did, I took about a week off just to get things ready. And then I took off in a car and drove out to, to California. Um, started working for Paul Winder uh, during that time in that summer. 
and uh, made a lot of great progress there, in fact, and a publication came out of that work you know, later, it takes late longer, but certainly that was the basis of the publication. I worked on a new reaction type, so it was a lot of fun. So were those influences of the people you mentioned and mentorship, was that a very valuable kind of step in your learning experience and growth through Notre Dame and, and Stanford? Yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, because as I, as I said, when I started out, I mean, other than the fact that, yeah, I guess my mom always said I used to mix up like rocks and mud and grass in little cups and stuff, <laughs> like sit around places and see what happened, you know? So obviously I had some sort of, uh, you know, curiosity within me, but I didn't know how to direct it to chemistry. Cause as I said, in my community that I didn't know any PhDs, I didn't know any who studied chemistry or what you would even ever do with that. And so through Fred Calhoun as that teacher and through Paul Helquist and, and all the courses and things I did at Notre Dame, but really it was the undergraduate research that launched me on my career path. Because again, when you're taking courses, you don't really understand how to apply it. Yeah. Um, so it was really that practical experience in the lab that showed me that again just kind of like the lab work in my high school chemistry class showed me that, that the interest in making molecules and then studying what they do. And then becoming a graduate student with Paul Winder, one of the first things I did was working on biologically active molecules. And, and Paul was a consultant at Eli Lilly. And so he would come back after consulting and he would really relay stories to us about Here's what medicinal chemistry is. Yeah. And so, okay, that's a whole new term to me. What's what's medicinal chemistry like? Here's what do you do with this PhD? I really hadn't thought of that, <laughs> um, at, you know, entering graduate school. Uh, and so, having that mentorship, you know, each one of these stages was a different type of mentorship that took me to the next level. So, totally owe my career to those people. Did you still spend the summers on the farm when you were at Stanford, at least? To help the family, no. no. <laughs> well, I did. Stayed away. Yeah, technic technically, yes, because Stanford's known as the farm. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I forgot about that. <laughs> I thought that was. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you, you made no, your way to the no. farm. Um, yes. <laughs> I guess before before we get into, I guess your first role, which I'm excited to dig into. Did you have an itch at this point while you're getting your PhD? for entrepreneurship or was it more, let me just get into a pharmaceutical company or whatever you your options were at the time, learn a bunch of different things and then kind of grow within that company and, and figure out where my career is going or was it at some point I do want to start a company? Yeah. Uh it was really more the, the former of just getting into a company and learning what medicinal chemistry was for, for real. Uh, I'd heard the, sort of the stories and talked to people and uh, about it at this point in my career, you know, six years in, uh, into graduate school and getting my PhD then. And I didn't do a postdoc either. I went straight from my, my graduate work to a uh, you know, pharmaceutical company position. And Biotech wasn't as big back then, so it wasn't nearly as common. In fact, when I joined Lilly, there, uh, Eli Lilly, which is where I ended up working for 16 years, um, there had recently been one or two people leave Lilly uh, to go to a small biotech, and they were, 
I mean, Lily was kind of like, uh, you know, like petrified, like what's going on? <laughs> People are leaving our company. Like they couldn't believe it because when you go to Lily, you're there for 30 years or 35 years, you retire from there. So it was really sort of this tectonic shift going on and, and biotech was just emerging. So I, I and. And how big was I Eli Lilly at that, at that time? Oh, uh, Lilly was big. I mean, it was probably 20,000 people at that time. I mean, the chemistry group wasn't that big, though, honestly. It was probably about two or 300 people, I think. It was, it's more like six or 700 at its highest peak, I think, um, much later uh, during that time. But it was still relatively small. You could know most of the yeah. chemists there and the people, but, but it's a big company, right? It's a huge company. But there so, were there were there were there less earlier stage biotech companies at that point, or what? Yeah, seeing? there were hardly any. Oh wow! Uh, you know, the, it was they were just really people were starting to leave big pharma and start these smaller enterprises because of the the speed at which you can go and the amount of autonomy you have there yeah. versus the bureaucracy, you know, of the, of the larger companies. And so I didn't really have a sense of all that. Again, not, not having uh, parents who are in professional fields and that sort of thing. I didn't have a good sense of what I was going to face in bureaucracy. And, and honestly, Lily was pretty good there in that they gave you a fair amount of freedom as a laboratory leader, where you come in as a senior scientist and you didn't have complete freedom about what you did. You had, I was sort of, recruited into ther a therapeutic area at that time. That's how they were organized. So infectious diseases, <laughs> kind of important these days again, working on viruses, yeah. in fact, <laughs> um, <laughs> at that point. So I know Came full circle. What's, what's going on now. But, um, but, you know, they decided to get out of that area. Um, and so, you know, those are the things that I learned about being in a big farm is that there were, there were decisions that were made that weren't always based on science. They were mostly based on business and then some science and some other things. So I learned a ton at Lilly um, and I had all these opportunities to go to, you know, to different country, you know, to Germany and work there for three years and different sites within the U.S., North Carolina and Indianapolis. So many, you know, tremendous experiences there and a lot of learning. Um, but as I usually say, my, uh, you know, I learned a lot of great things, had a lot of great opportunities. And one of the best one was, once was to be able to leave <laughs> Lily and I did. Yes. Yeah, so, so I guess before we get into that, what, what were, I guess you started as a senior scientist as an organic yeah. chemist, but er, pretty quickly you started managing a team of PhDs, right? That's right. Yeah. So yeah. were you on that path of managing, leading, kind of building a team, understanding those components? Um, that may come in handy later on in your career. And obviously, like you just said, you moved to many, many different places with leading chemistry efforts, being responsible for all sorts of operations and global sites, et cetera. So how did that, I guess, how, how did your career path really take off and the lessons and takeaways you learned from your 16 years or so at Eli? Yeah. You know, the, 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 one of the good lessons I learned um, that gave me one of those opportunities to, to, to go to Hamburg, Germany as one of the leaders is my manager at the time um, I was having a meeting with and I was getting up to walk out and he said, oh, yeah, one more thing. You know, 
you wouldn't ever, I'm sure you wouldn't be interested in this, but I'll just mention it. You know, we need somebody to, to become a, the leader of our MedChem group in Hamburg, Germany. But he's like, but I know you're not interested. And I'm like, so I, I turned around, I sat back down. I said, actually, that's really intriguing. <laughs> like, yes, I would love to hear more about this. And he was like, really? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And I ended up going there. So it's a, it's a lesson again in, in management and leadership of, you know, don't assume anything about that. You know, what's going on with other people. Uh, you know, people are complex and, and we only scratch the surface of what we know about them. So anyway, you know, give people opportunities because uh, you shouldn't assume uh, otherwise, but uh, so that was great. It was a great opportunity to go there. Um, it was coming into a pretty difficult position. If I, <laughs> it's one of those. If you knew everything about it, I never would have said yes. But I'm so glad that I did, <laughs> uh, because I was taking over for a, a rather older uh, German uh, leader of the site, or leader of the chemistry group, and and obviously it's pretty hierarchical. Um, again, going back 20 years or so, and and um, but you know it worked out incredibly well for everyone um you know so it was it was a good situation and a lot of great learnings and yeah you know really got to to manage and build that site up i hired about 20 uh people during that time um installed computational chemistry chemical technologies did a lot of things for the site both on the chemistry side and also on the biology side um, ended up making a really dear friend uh, there who was the, the leader of the biology group and later, later leader of the site as well. Um, so, yeah, lots of lessons there on managing the budget, uh, being able to hire when uh, there's a hiring freeze, <laughs> being able to get money when they're cutting budgets, <laughs> you know, learning how to operate as in a small company environment almost. And that's what I when I realized I really loved that aspect. And is that... Well, you said you were you couldn't wait to leave, but with what you said earlier that it was kind of unheard of to go to a smaller earlier stage company. So what drove that moment that you realized I'm moving on from Eli Lilly and I'm gonna join Forma Therapeutics? And how did that come yeah. about? Right. So well yeah, to be totally clear, what I said is like I, I I had great opportunities at Lilly, and yet the best one was to leave. <laughs> so I wasn't really itching to leave at that time. Um, then, in fact, um, that was a little bit of lemonades uh, from lemons, because in fact that was the first time Lilly had ever downsized, and they they concentrated all the downsizing in upper level chemistry management. So I was actually let go from Lilly. So it was an opportunity, I say, to leave, and it was a good opportunity because I took my severance and everything else, and I decided, you know, I really wanted to go do something else. I'd been at Research Triangle Park, I'd been these smaller sites. I was back at the corporate center for I don't know uh, five, six years at that point, and I really don't think I was going to learn too much more there or do anything else. I mean, sure, I could like finish out my career there, but that's not really in my DNA at this point, uh, because I said I didn't really have that entrepreneurial spirit, I think, from the get-go, but I yeah. think I just didn't understand what that really was. Um, and being at these smaller sites, I really had to express and hone those kind of entrepreneurial skills because you don't have the budget necessarily. You don't have all the, the tools that the mothership has, and, uh, and you have to learn to really be aggressive and 
plan and challenge people and build your teams, you know, internally to deliver the things that you need to deliver. Uh, so that really kind of gave me that, that the, the fire in my belly to go out and do those things. So then when I had that chance, it was great. So when I, I started talking to people in the Boston area, I kind of said, that's where I want to be. So I moved out to the Boston area, even without a position. And then about a week after I got here, I had my position. And, and um, why, because, the, why did the Boston area stand out to you just for everything going on in biotech at the time? Yeah, it was really about that. I mean, I assessed this, the, the, the various places and there was San Francisco, San Diego, maybe Chicago, you know, RTP a little bit, but I knew that that was really not going to grow much more. And I, I really said, you know, Boston is the place. And uh, I had the best network already, although not a great network in Boston because I had worked with Vertex on the HCV protease, you know, inhibitor that we, we um, developed into a drug in CVEC there. So, uh, so I had a, a pretty strong group of friends in, in, from that. And then, uh, yeah, just decided this was the place. Without a job, though. So how did the how did you end up getting the job? Take us through uh, that. I was really, yeah. So I mean, a lot of people have told me that you know when you're recruiting in a biotech, they they need people that are kind of already here because you know if you got to move and do all these things, you're not sure. You know, maybe people don't like it, or then their family says, "Oh, I don't want to move," and all this stuff. So I just decided I'm going to move out here and get an apartment, and I did, and and it was. <laughs> I mean, it was literally like a week later, I had a job pretty much um, with Forma. Uh, and so uh, I had been talking to them a little bit, but when I made that move and everything, I think it showed them I was serious. And um, yeah, then by uh, December, I started, I guess. So I moved in October and you know, started talking to them, I guess. It wasn't literally a week, but literally a week I was interviewing with them and then um, started a position like a month later. So The recurring theme is not a whole lot of downtimes in your life. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. Yeah. Um, all right. So then you're at Forma for three years yep. and then you transitioned to Quartet. Yep. And then I guess a, a little bit on Quartet and your experiences there. Um, and then we'll get into the first company you founded. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, Forma was relatively big for biotech when I joined, about 60, 70 people. Quartet, I was the first full-time employee. There was a, the CEO was part-time and there was, uh, so that he was technically the first employee, but I was the first full-time employee. And then there was a head of pharmacology. So really only three of us at Quartet for the first couple of years. So really had to do everything you know, soup to nuts of managing the CROs, um, doing the board slides, doing everything. And I really loved that position uh, and <clears throat> had a great time there and realized that that's really what I wanted to do is be involved in these very early stage companies <clears throat> where it's just a few people, where you can help establish the culture and really establish timelines. If you don't do it, it doesn't get done so that everything is just really critical that you can feel all that um, impact of every decision you make and everything you do every day. Uh, so that, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, we took that three years in, we got very, very close to a clinical candidate. And then we uncovered a potential problem with the mechanism of that particular uh, modality that we were looking at. So it was for peripheral neuropathic pain, you know, a huge unmet medical need, 
obviously the the crisis we were in and still are in on top of but before covid was the opioid crisis and and coming up with alternatives for uh pain you know non-addictive ways to deal with pain and so this was a novel mechanism for that super interesting structurally enabled uh, and structure guided drug design and uh unfortunately again we got it was <laughs> literally the last day of the last study uh, that we needed to to complete to file our 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 filing is going to be a CTA, not an not an uh, NDA, but uh, or not a IND. But uh, we we did that filing. Or we were going to do that filing about a month later, but we had this result, and we made we made a quick decision after looking at all the data that we shouldn't invest further in this. So we suggested that we shut the company down. Wow. So. Tough decision, but uh, again, something that I really learned about Atlas at that time, because that was my first Atlas-backed company working with, is that they really care about data. They, they also care about people, um, but they let us, you know, we really made that decision as a scientific team within the company to shut the company down. It wasn't mandated to us. It wasn't anything yeah. else. Uh, and then the people are were all treated incredibly fairly, and, and so it was really great. So your your relationship with Atlas started at Quartet, and then yeah, it started at Quartet, and then Quench, the company you co-founded and were chief technology officer. That came next, and that was the first company you founded, right? And they were that's also right. Atlas backed. Yeah, that's right. And so as as we dissolved Quartet. Um, myself and, and the CEO, Gerhard Koenig, we had the uh, opportunity to become EIRs, Entrepreneur in Residence with Atlas Venture. And so um, as part of that, I immediately we started working on new, new co-creation, new company creation. And so I worked with Gerhard pretty closely in uh, putting together our CUDA therapeutics. Um, but I decided for a number of reasons at that time that I wasn't going to join that particular company. And it just has to do with like outside influences and things that, um, that I won't get into here. But, you know, Gerhard and I were in lockstep and communication during that time. And I said, you know, look, I'm going to I put together the financial plan, a lot of the stuff around the all the details of the R&D and how we would do it. I, I co-inventor on the first patent that they have out there. Um, and so all that. But I decided not to join. Uh, and then. After that, I decided I really wanted to co-found really my own company, uh, you know, and really from scratch, because that was sort of taking something that Gerhard was kind of working on and, 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 and joining that. So that's how Quinch came about is I was looking at some of the technologies. So Atlas has technologies that come through, and I had been doing a lot of kind of QCing and due diligence for them as part with my EIR hat on. And so I saw a technology I thought was very interesting, um, very cutting edge, very tough uh, problem. And I knew there was a biologist who was also interested, Mike Nolan. And, you know, you need a biologist and a chemist to yep. start something up, really. And I knew that from Lily and all my years of experience in drug discovery. And so, um, yeah, I got very interested in this uh, this area of pyroptosis and innate immunology. And that was the foundation of Quench. And then so. as you, the three years at Quench, I guess just tell us a little bit about the challenges, the what you learned from being a co-founder, because I imagine that is a completely, I mean, you were doing quite a bit of it and learning from it at Quartet, it sounds like, but I imagine there's, the stakes are high, 
you're a co-founder, you're an executive, and everyone's looking to you as the leader. So how, how was that? And I guess taking us through that, that experience, what are the lessons learned that you would give advice to other early stage founders and executives? Yeah. You know, it, it really is a team sport, though. So that's that, all that is true. Uh, but one of the first things we did was to recruit, uh, you know, a super CEO. And so that was Sam Truex to join the team. Uh, and so there were three of us for the first six or eight months. And we went through, you know, the first of the roller coaster rides and what I call quench 1.0. Uh, which was some some chemical matter that we had in licensed and kind of found out that it wasn't working exactly how we thought and uh, but but worked with the team to really drive the science to get to that decision and uh, again working with investors like Atlas and we we also had another investor at that point too Eric's Biosciences out of the UK so they were kind of part of the seed before we even did the Series A and so. Having just a great, a great investor team is so important, and I felt very lucky, and I am very lucky to be working with some uh, a venture fund like Atlas, where they do really start companies and they create companies and they they work with people that they know or they trust, and they work very closely. So one of those is just being very transparent about things with your investors, to be able to talk to them about the data about how things are progressing and to show that you also know what you're doing, yeah. uh, even when it's difficult and the science is difficult, that you're making sound decisions and communicating those and communicating the risk involved with those, but also the reward and just your thought processing processes and all that. Uh, so I think establishing a at the team, because you know you can't do it by yourself. I mean, yes, it takes a couple of people to found it typically, but then you have to start growing your team. And shortly thereafter, we also were able to recruit in a very talented CSO uh, from Pfizer, um, Ian Kilty, who joined in. So continuing to always be recruiting in your network, which is you know, super important. <laughs> like I'm always recruiting for some some company, <laughs> either my own or some someone else's at Atlas, um, I think is, is an important piece. So I think that's a, a big piece of it is just growing that, keeping the transparency there, keeping the communication up and the communication within the company, the communication outside the company to your investors and the, the co-founders where they're there as well. So. And to, to take you to the your present present role, um, you've stayed within Atlas as an entrepreneur in residence. Um, you also do a bunch of consulting work for other companies helping out with their business strategies. So I guess for those that don't know, and you've already talked about it a little bit, but what is the entrepreneur in residence program like? Is that unique? Um, for an Atlas Ventures to have something of that nature? Um, and I guess just what do you have going on now? Yeah, so it's not really unique um, totally, but, but Atlas does it extremely well, I think. So there's, there's a lot of different flavors of how it works. There's certainly Third Rock and Flagship and other, other companies, other venture funds have um, EIRs of, of different types, you know, um, 
I think that the way Atlas operates is uh, they really try to respect the people in the company. I, and I know that a lot of people say they do this, but Atlas, I feel, really does it. And we saw that, you know, I've seen that, unfortunately, twice with the dissolution of companies um, that were not exits that were, I, I guess, positive <laughs> in income for Atlas. Um, but they were positives as, as far as making decisions. You know, not all the, you know, the science was followed, I think, in both cases extremely well. Um, and the people were also uh, taken care of in both cases extremely well. But then there's a lot of people that, that are recycled. And so the, the EIRs, you know, specifically try to start new companies and try to, try to get recycled or are recycled within to, to new co's where available. But for the, the situation of transitioning from Quinch, I think it's really pretty exemplary that there was another company that I had actually done due diligence on the science of about uh, nine months prior to the dissolution of, of Quinch Bio, which it was in March of last year. Um, but the previous year, uh, I had looked at some technologies that they were thinking about uh, because I was doing some similar to that and had done similar things that my career so specifically around some chemistry and covalency and, and cysteines and things like this and so um, I had looked at that and I gave them a list of questions I said hey this is pretty cool technology if, they, if this is really true and they can really do this and here's your list of questions that you should ask about it um, then that's that's a pretty cool concept and pretty cool company and then I kind of forgot about it uh, because I was fully embedded in quench and then when we got to March, you know, nine months later, and we're dissolving that, um, Bruce Booth is, is the, uh, the partner that I've worked with now through uh, three different companies. <laughs> it's been not only Atlas, but Bruce Booth, uh, which, you know, is just a phenomenal person um, and uh, investor and um, a mentor and everything else. Um, so working with Bruce, he's like, hey, you know, we're, we decided to form this company. Uh, it's going to be... Well, I won't give you the name. I guess it's all still in stealth mode. Stealth, new uh, So I can't say too much. I can tell you a little bit about the science. But, you know, the, the beautiful thing about this was it was not only like, oh, Mark, you know, this fits your background. Once you come over and look at this, it was how about the whole team do that at Quinch? Why don't we just take everybody and have them come over? Uh, because it was working in immunology and oncology, and our group at, at, at Quinch had been in immunology. And I really um, am still am still really uh, humbled by that decision of Atlas to do that uh, because it was really the whole team, and certainly they could have said, "Oh, yeah, we'll just, you guys wait and we'll see." But they they brought everybody on immediately. Um, it is also very smart of yeah. them because there's certainly a talent war out there and everything else. But um, I just feel like they it certainly wasn't necessary to do. But uh, I think it shows Bruce's vision and insight that that's uh, that's a great way to keep a team that was functioning really well together so yeah and so now we're working in a company that is focused on covalency i can say that and uh, with a background in chemoproteomics that's driving this and uh super founders um again super investors not only atlas but another venture fund as well uh is an investor right now still in stealth mode hopefully coming out of that probably in the first quarter of 22, probably towards the end of the first quarter of 22. Uh, so now. In the yeah, next coming up. Months. Yeah. Yeah. So be able to say a lot more about it then. <laughs> and do you, is your 
consulting practice, is that driven from just having a passion for helping all sorts of various biotech and pharmaceutical companies, helping them think through things? I imagine putting your experience, obviously, to be a thought partner for all these other industry professionals that it sounds like, obviously, you've gotten to know quite a few people along the way. So um, maybe some you know, some others you get connected to, but is that really what drives that? Yeah, and it, it's something that, again, that, that Atlas recognizes. So in my, so I am a full-time employee of, of this new co that's here as of uh, July or something like that I was, but you know, recognize that I need to have the ability and it's good for the company I'm in and it's good for them and it's good for me um, to be working with other people as well. You know, whether that be just kind of consulting within Atlas companies, that's more or less just things where I'm a little bit more mentoring and this sort of thing to other, other companies that I'm actually consulting for. Um, either on SABs or on MedChem advisory boards, that sort of thing, that um, it's, it's a good thing to be doing in my, at this point in my career. And so, you know, no problems with that at all. In fact, encourage that of their executives to be doing that sort of thing. So that's, again, super, and it kind of shows that they understand the development of people and what people really need in their careers and to allow them flexibilities in their contracts and their ways of working with them that allow them to continue to develop. So it's, it's really another plus side of Atlas. And, and over the, over your, your years of experience from Eli Lilly all the way to quench to your new company, what, what are the common denominators you see when you really are excited about a company or a team and you see success firsthand. What are those common denominators that I guess the answer to the question is going to have probably a bunch of answers, but when you kind of have that instinct saying, this is, this is a good thing we have going because of X, Y, Z. Yeah. It's being able to see a path to a drug, I think, uh, is, is really part of it. So at Quartet, that was a structure guided, uh, approach that uh, tested out a novel mechanism for sure. So I can't tell you whether it's going to work in the clinic because no one can. Um, but I could tell you that I could get to a drug there, or I could get to a compound that should be able to be put in the clinic. Let's put it that way. I mean, that's that's what we can do. And and I, I did get there with that quartet. We didn't get there for the indication that we wanted, but um, that, that, that's not, that concept is not dead yet, let's yeah. just say. <laughs> I have my ERR hat on uh, for, that, for that, that compound or that at least uh, testing that particular mechanism. So um, watch this space for that. But, um, and then with Quench, it was really that there was chemical matter for something that was really hard. And then when we figured out that that chemical matter maybe wasn't exactly what we thought, the biology was still there and very much intact that if you could modulate that particular pathway or that particular protein, it really should, there was a, a way to develop that into a compound that could go into the clinic. And so always having that line of sight that there's not too many unknowns in that path. There may be unknowns on the chemical matter about what it is or how to get that. Uh, and that became the case with Quench. 
And then we threw uh, a, a lot of the drug discovery tools at it, and we made a ton of progress. But we decided that it was really not going to be the progress at the rate that we needed it to for a biotech. So that's why we really stopped Quench, not because we were out of money or because the science wasn't working. It was just working really slowly. And so that was too big a risk. I mean, you want to take a lot of risk in a biotech, but that was one where it was clear to me. It's like, look, this is too long term. There's other opportunities that are going to be better. And so then when I looked at the new co here, it's really applying covalency to develop drugs. And that's a very known technology. We have some secret sauce behind that that allows us to really understand and apply it in ways that others can't. And so that was the beautiful part to me because I've done covalent. I have a covalent drug, you know, that made it a billion dollars on the market, you know, that I was part of the team that invented in CVEC. But um, having the tools now to be able to do that in a much more systematic and, and thoughtful way and with our eyes wide open on the selectivity, that's, that's really exciting to me. So a path to putting compounds in the clinic. Over the year, the, the way I'm thinking about this is from a real estate standpoint for myself in the what I focus on, but it's as competitive as ever in the life science real estate market. So we talk about even from the different locations that a company may want to evaluate from a submarket standpoint, the importance of attraction and retention of talent. Have you seen the past couple of years have you seen life science companies get more and more competitive for the attraction and retention of talent? And you already talked about how you're always recruiting, but how is the, uh, how, how are your more traditional hires? Is it from your network? Is it no rhyme or reason? Anyone you get in touch with that has the proper resume and experience or just take us through, I guess your thought process on, on that piece, because obviously, Everyone knows how competitive all these biotech and pharma companies are for talent. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our hiring has mostly been done. So we were, we were six, six or seven when we started, we're 15 people now. So we've, we started with yeah, half the company being from Quinch, but we've doubled that size from outside and that all came through our network so far. So your intern, you know, your your personal network, and then we can expand that to Atlas's network. But it's mostly been, in fact, my personal network that's done most of this recruiting, um, and then the personal networks of the uh, the rest of the team. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of followership um, that that goes on at a lot of these companies. Uh, when I was at Forma, I recruited a uh, person, Darby Schmidt. When I went to Quartet, I recruited her to that company, <laughs> and she came work for me there, uh, with me there. She's now at another place. But, you know, there's things like this. There's a lot in followership, right? So it depends on how you treat people and that you want to create cultures where uh, people enjoy doing what they're doing. I mean, it's it's certainly a fast-paced environment. There's, there's pressure involved for sure. Uh, but... You know, what we're doing, discovering drugs or trying to discover drugs to, to really help patients that are in need, there's there's not too many more noble causes than that. I mean, you yeah. should feel super happy about yeah. what you're doing every day. Yeah. And if, if you're not, then there's something wrong. Um, and again, trying to create an atmosphere where there's transparency and and you can get the right balance of, yeah, this is fun, but there's still a little bit of pressure on the system. And, you know, people want to work hard and are very dedicated, but balance like, yeah, I don't want you here 
you know, every hour of the day. I don't want you here on weekends. You have to have a personal life. You have to have these things. Um, we just need to work hard when we're engaged, you know? So I, I think it's that. I guess in light of that, what do you do from now that we're winding down? What do you do on your free time? What do you do to have fun yeah, with the, so with the limited a, time I'm, you have? <laughs> yeah, that, that had to change too when I, when I moved to biotech. <laughs> I used to be a leisurely runner in the afternoons and that sort of thing. Um, now I run in the morning because it's the only, the only part of my day I can control is uh, it's kind of like the traffic. I can get up early enough to beat traffic. You can never come home late enough oh, to yeah. really beat Oh, yeah. There's, um, a, there's always yeah, a reason so to miss the run later on. Yeah, exactly. So I, I decided a long time ago I was going to, well, when I moved out here, I had to run in the morning. So I became a morning runner, even though I thought that was impossible. Um, but I'm a runner. Um, I'm a marathoner, even in, you know, a little bit past that even. Uh, but uh, really all distances from the mile up to the marathon. I enjoy running, training that sort of thing. I like riding. I like swimming a little bit as well and cross training, but really running is my big hobby. So it must be nicer and to run around Cambridge. If you do that now with the less, less human traffic or cars, bikers, yeah, everything. All yeah. the above. I mean, this is a great place. I mean, Boston is a great running community. So I have tons of, uh, I became a social runner as well. When I moved to Boston, I'd never run with anybody else. I always ran by myself. Um, now I'm part of three, two or three different running clubs and, you know, I run track group myself every Tuesday morning at MIT and, you know, we have running Atlas that I'm part of that's on Thursday mornings here. So yeah, it's a, it's become a real great community of friendship for me as well as something where I can push and train myself. Um, you know, I like it because it's kind of like a human experiment. I can try different training regimens and see how I respond and, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's, uh, it's fun. So I like it, but, and I am, I guess, competitive, but I really feel like I'm competitive against myself only, you know, and I like improving myself yeah. and, and seeing what I can do, not about beating other people. I don't actually <laughs> like that. <laughs> I'd rather everybody could run with me. <laughs> um, do you, have, have you kept in touch with mentors and coworkers from over the years? up until now, or is it tough to stay in touch with professors at Notre Dame or folks at Eli Lilly or wherever? Yeah, I, I guess the person I stay the most in, in touch with is my PhD advisor, Paul Winder. Um, I'm in touch with some of the Notre Dame professors, but I guess it got a lot harder once I moved out of Indiana. Yeah. And I've really worked on establishing my network here because I really didn't have a very good network. That's probably one of the things I would say to the uh, the younger Mark Tebby at some point is uh, establish your network and really understand how important those are going Stole to be. Stole my last question. They, that was my last oh, question. Okay. What you would say to the right. youngest, to the younger Mark Tebby. But anyway, <laughs> we can hear it now. <laughs> okay. Well. So yeah, lastly, so, uh, what would you say to a young Mark yeah, Tebby? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I would say, you know, understand how important your networks are. I mean, if if you looked at my career um, up until the last uh, five or ten years, I've now been in Boston eleven years. But up until that point, I had moved an average of every four point five years for thirty years of my life. Um, and when you do that. Uh, you lose a lot of connections. I mean, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it being able to make a lot of connections or you have to work harder to keep a lot of those connections. Yep. And 
I really didn't work that hard at keeping those connections. And um, I would say that was really a mistake of not bringing enough of those key people along with me. Um, and so now I do have a large network here in the Boston area. It's it's very large, I think. It's it's a great one. It spans a lot of different disciplines and, and, and things as well. So I do try to get out a lot um, into the community. Um, harder now, but there's still Zooms and everything yeah. else. So yeah, I really value that and I should have valued that a lot earlier in my career, so. All right, well, Mark. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Um, I, I'm certain everyone's going to be thrilled to hear about your background, your experiences, and your advice. So just want to say thank you. Um, I really appreciate it. And it was a nice change up from the couple real estate podcasts we've had the past two times. So thanks again. <laughs> yeah, no, it's super great. Uh, really, really thank you as well. Appreciate it.